This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 190 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, I have to start with this. I saw something in the last week or two that I just have to share with you guys. It gave me a good laugh. We could all use a good laugh, right? We could all use a little bit of levity from time to time. And I have to give credit to the Instagram account at Prolific Sports Cards because that's where I saw it first. But someone listed a 1969 Topps Walt Frazier rookie on eBay, a PSA 4. But this PSA 4 looked a lot different than all of the other graded copies because someone had drawn a beard on it. And even though Clyde has sported a number of different facial hair configurations over the years... Uh, you might remember he was even a, a spokesman for just for men for beard coloring. But um, on his rookie, there should only be a mustache. And for whatever reason, PSA didn't catch that. Anyway, I posted it on Twitter. I tagged PSA. And after that, I actually put the card on my watch list because I thought the whole thing was funny. You know, maybe not $115 funny, but funny nonetheless. You know, I wouldn't have minded owning it. But that's probably not going to happen anytime soon, though, because number one, the listing was taken down. And number two, when you search the cert number on PSA's website, it gives you that big pink and red banner that says the card was, quote, intentionally deactivated on October 11th in the PSA database. Now, for the life of me, I still can't figure out the decertification parameters, but I guess I can say for certain, if your card grows a beard underneath its slab, it will likely be confiscated. All right, I've got a pretty busy show for you today. A lot of little odds and ends. There's been quite a bit going on in the sport and the hobby this week, and I'm going to talk about some new releases. I'm going to share some recent mail, and then I'm going to close today by sharing my first real experience with the eBay Authentication Center. So you want to make sure to stay tuned for that. And before I get into all of that, I've received a few messages about the backyard break situation. For those of you that aren't aware, there's been some speculation that one of the biggest group breakers in the hobby is receiving special treatment from Panini, and we've seen this over the years with maybe different geographical regions or different group breakers, so this uh, speculation is not anything new, and I'm not saying that to discredit it here at the start, but it's something that we've gone through before. History repeats itself. Everything works in cycles, so I'm just going to address it here real quick and then move on. Uh, Someone on Twitter put together a giant thread where they tried to calculate the odds of backyard breaks hitting four monster hobby hits as they did, all from Premier Products. And while I think it's certainly something worth looking into, I'm not sure if the methodology behind it all is correct. 
I'm also not sure if the account properly factored in how exactly cards are packed out. Um, I wish this had been presented on a platform like Blowout where a more linear conversation could take place. That's what would have happened a handful of years ago. Now it just gets scattered everywhere and the dialogue that needs to follow isn't as likely to take place. That doesn't mean there aren't good conversations out there in different spots. I've seen it talked about on Twitter, on YouTube. There is a blowout forums thread, but it's it's not really the central location for this discussion. Um, anyway, it's all scattered now, and that's the unfortunate thing about how we communicate in 2022. If anything, this might be another reason that breaking needs to become more regulated. That is, if it has to exist at all. As far as I'm concerned, breaking causes more problems than it solves in 2022. Of course, that's just my opinion. And I've already devoted more time to this situation than I'd like, so I think I'm going to leave it at that. Okay, so as I mentioned in the intro, there was a trio of releases in the last week or two, and I think all three of them are representative of the current state of basketball card manufacturing, which, spoiler alert, is not good right now. Um, I started writing this segment up, and I realized, you know, it's going to sound very negative. That wasn't uh, intentional on my part. I just wanted to try and give you an accurate representation of what we see. I feel like these last three products do that, but like I said, it's not good. Um, So just know I'm not doing this to read sell sheets to you. These aren't full-scale reviews. This exercise serves a bigger purpose, and I'm going to go in the order of release. So the first product up today is 2022-23 Immaculate Collection Collegiate Basketball, which came out on October 10th. Yes, that's right. The seasons are overlapping again. Now, last year I floated out a theory I had that Panini was seemingly building up the status and the value of its college stuff because they were still going to own that license even after they lost the NBA stuff to Fanatics. So one thing I noticed last year was all of the college relics were player-worn, while the pro stuff was not worn at all. And I know they had more time to prep the college stuff, but they never even made any serious attempts to get those NBA rookies to wear the pro gear. Um, you know, they realized they could still sell the product without doing that. And they could have even done the same thing they do with retired NFL players and mailed it to them. They could have mailed it to equipment managers. They already have relationships with a lot of these equipment managers in order to get the uh, veteran stuff. So, you know, why not work with them for the rookie stuff? But they didn't do that because they knew they didn't have to. And they don't really care about the value of the brand moving forward. And I think I can say that, you know, with a, a reasonable amount of assurance. Um, And even though I generally don't like college cards, the player-worn aspect from the last couple of years at least had me looking at them. I didn't make any purchases, but I was at least looking. Fast forward to this new release now. All of the relics are unworn. Also, all the autographs are stickers. And I know the last couple years there's been a number of excuses like COVID and supply chain and so on. I think a lot of people were a little more willing to let Panini off the hook than they should have been. Can we put that to rest now? You know, I think it's pretty clear that they're just mailing it in because if anything, they were going to try and keep the value of the college products. That made the most sense because they would keep that license. And my first impression of this new release is that it's taken a drastic turn for the worst when it comes to quality. Uh, Product number two is one that's already been partially distributed, so it's not really a new product, but the rest of it finally came out on October 12th. I'm calling it a basketball set. I guess it's technically an entertainment set. It's kind of both. But that's 2021 Upper Jack Space Jam, A New Legacy. And I wouldn't have even known that the hobby version finally came out 
except for the fact that my normal patch search has all of a sudden become inundated with manufactured patch relics of, wait for it, uh, Granny, Sylvester, Tweety, and so on and so on. And I'm not going to sit here and harp on a Space Jam set. I realize I'm not the target audience. But when you combine this delayed release date with that of their recent Metal Universe set, which was probably not constructed as well as it should have been, they didn't put the resources into that that they should have to make it right, it seems like Upper Deck is just limping along, which is a shame because we desperately need some real competition, even if it is unlicensed. I still think Upper Deck could make some noise here in the basketball card realm, you know, if they had the resources to put behind it and if they had the um, the energy, I guess, the creativity. I don't know. You know, I don't know what all they're working with, but it seems like they're limping along. Okay, the last product I want to talk about today is 2022 Panini Prism WNBA, which also came out on October 12th. And I haven't opened any of this yet. I opened quite a few blasters of the 2021 version, including six of them during the recent hurricane while I was kind of waiting for things to pass. But Panini doubled the size of the base set this year while only adding two parallels. And I've suggested something similar for the men's version, not necessarily doubling, but I thought they should increase the base set from 300 to 400 if they wanted to increase the print run. Um, You know, that's one way to do it without adding all sorts of weird animal prints. So for this WNBA version, though, they added a one-of-one gold vinyl, which we haven't seen in the men's version. That's been more of a football thing, um, although those are numbered to five in football. And those of you that are familiar with last year's product might remember that there were a ton of goofs. You know, we're talking, they're confusing players that aren't even the same race. Right, So it's not even that you know, Getty got the picture wrong or whatever. They're just way off. Um, or there were old pictures from several teams ago, or there's a lot of reused pictures. Well, we're seeing some of that again this year. And um, not only that, the quality control is just a mess. Like this. A lot of the base cards are coming out with the word prism with that des- designation on the back when they're not parallels. So we really need, number one, some quality control. We really need someone at Panini that knows the WNBA. Um, And all of that is to say, showing these three products, um, you know, these are the last three products that came out. They're not all Panini, right? They're from different manufacturers. They span different interests. We had College, Space Jam, and WNBA, but they were all representative of the state of basketball card manufacturing right now. Um, The first one was a lazy effort that's lost its value relative to previous years. The second one was a product that came out so late that it's not even relevant anymore. You know, who cares about Space Jam right now? And then the third one was a sloppy effort that leaned heavily into the popularity of a previously established product, um, which is what they're going to do with Revolution here in a moment with WNBA as well. You know, because they're thinking everyone loves Prism, right? So they threw in Color Blast and Gold Vinyls, and then they called it a day. Anyway, that should kind of give you a picture of where we're at. Like I said, it's grim. It's not good. I don't want to be so negative, but I do want to kind of paint a picture of where things are at right now so we can chronicle this for the future. All right, before I move into today's mail segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, Shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. 
gmail.com. Hustle, grind, spam, profit. We're the Whip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, on to the mail. And I've got four packages I want to talk about today, all leading up to my first experience with eBay's Authentication Center. And the first card I received was a 2012-2013 Panini Innovation Statline Patch of George Hill, numbered 17 of 25. And this is a set I've talked about several times on the show before. All the patches are game-dated. The card features a picture of the player from the game, and then the player's stat line is prominently displayed on the front, as the name of the set would suggest. And I've had several opportunities to buy a copy of this hill over the years, and never pulled the trigger. Uh, My main reason was that the patches were always pretty weak. You know, they all seemed like trim pieces or something from the side of a Pacers jersey. Well, soon enough I discovered that uh, maybe they were all like that and I didn't know it, and being picky eliminated all opportunities to buy the card, and I hadn't seen one for sale in a long, long time. Um, And then several weeks ago, I got a message from a listener named Raphael who goes by the handle um, iCollectWade. You want to check out his profile. He's got a lot of awesome, you know, Dwayne Wade stuff, as you can imagine. Uh, We've had some great conversations over time. Really enjoy chatting with him. So um, he had seen me mention on a YouTube video that I was slowly trying to piece this set together. Now, when I say slowly, you know, I'm not in, I'm not aggressively going after them, but I'm trying to pick them up when I can and when it's reasonable. Um, so he knew someone on an international site that was splitting the setup, and they had the George Hill for a good price. Um, he was kind enough to facilitate the deal, and then he gave me a good price on it as well. He went to the effort of you know making sure it got shipped out and doing all of that, so he went the extra mile. I'm very appreciative for that, so thank you once again, Raphael. Uh, make sure to check out his profile, which is I Collect Wade. All right, the next card I'm going to talk about was an eBay purchase. It was a 2009-2010 Panini Hall of Fame monikers autograph of David Thompson with the Skywalker inscription. And, you know, this is something that I probably wouldn't have purchased a year or two ago or or a couple of years ago. My buying is starting to shift. Uh, And this is a set specifically that I've really gravitated toward lately because it's a cheaper alternative to some of the high-dollar inscription sets. And the autos are still on card. And I posted this one on my Twitter feed, and Tim Gallagher replied, David Thompson is so underappreciated. For my era, he was our Jordan. And I always like when Tim replies to my stuff, because it's nice to get some perspective from someone that's been watching basketball a lot longer than myself. And don't get me wrong, I've I've read quite a bit about David Thompson, and I've even gotten his autograph in person before. But being able to watch a player on a consistent basis and evaluate him goes a long way. Um, And David Thompson has a very interesting story. I want to talk a little bit about that here before I move on to the third package. David averaged 26 points per game in the ABA as a 21-year-old rookie. Well, then that league merged with the NBA, and I know technically they didn't merge, but that's kind of the the terminology that's used. Um, And then, so then when they came together, David maintained similar numbers for a handful of years. Well, Toward the end of that stint, he suffered a major foot injury, and you know there there were a lot of downtime that a lot of downtime that came with that, and he developed a severe drug problem, um, which was unfortunately a part of that era as well. And things kind of spiraled downhill for him. He had one you know one more really good season, and then his average dropped to like 
10 points per game just like that. It went down to about 15 points per game. Um, He suffered through three more seasons before he got into a fight and was shoved down a stairwell, which resulted in a career-ending knee injury. So he actually tried out for the Pacers after that, but did not make it. And as I talked about on last week's episode, that was an era when the Pacers were really, really bad. So just think about it. He, you know, unfortunately the knee was bad enough at that point that he couldn't make the Pacers. And that drug problem continued for a little while. But uh, thankfully he was able to turn things around and his life is cleaned up now. So that's a, you know, happy ending to that part. I was fortunate enough to run into David at a Charlotte Bobcats event around 10 years ago. He seemed happy and healthy. Um, I had him sign a relic card, which is something I usually don't do, but it turned out really well. But I didn't ask him to sign Skywalker. And now I've got this moniker's card that has that inscription on there. So if you're interested in seeing that at some point, maybe I'll get it on my social media. I'm not always good about that. Uh, But you can find it on my YouTube channel. I know it's on there for sure. Okay, package number three. Um, A month or two ago, Darren, a.k.a. Deputy Dog, a.k.a. the biggest Ronnie Brewer collector in the world, um, he reached out to me. And you might remember him from a recent installment of Collector Classifieds, uh, which, as a quick aside here, I'm afraid that that segment might have run its course. I want to keep doing it, but I keep putting feelers out and uh, there's no response. So, you know, if I don't have any people to do it, I can't do it. So that's going to go on a little hiatus and I might figure out a way to reinvent it in the future because I like the premise behind it. But anyway, Darren reached out to me with a picture of a 2000-2001 Topps Chrome Refractor of Reggie Miller, which I needed for my Pacers Refractor project. And he asked me, hey, do you need this? Yes, I need it. I said, how much? He refused to let me pay. I said, okay, let me pay the shipping. He refused to let me pay for shipping. So anyway, that showed up this week. Not only the Reggie Miller, but he threw in a pair of TJ Warren cards as a nice surprise. One of them was a gold Illusions Parallel number to 10, which I've been kind of getting into illusions a little bit lately. And then the other was a Mosaic Genesis, which features those royal blue uniforms that I talked about on last week's mailbag segment. Um, And I think he picked that up before even hearing that. So it it was kind of cool how all of that worked out. So thank you to Darren. Um, He didn't have to do that, but um, I just got through scanning them in this past weekend, and I'm very happy to add them to the PC. So uh, just one more flyer for any rare... Ronnie Brewer cards out there. Um, Check in with Darren, please. Okay, before I talk about the final package and my eBay authentication experience, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by Check Out My Cards. CompC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With the CompC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the CompC Marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckoutMyCards. I think I've got a good amount of stuff built up on there. I think it's time for a shipment, so whenever that happens, I'll do a YouTube video. Uh, As you know, well, as by this segment, I always like sharing my mail with people, kind of sharing in that excitement. Hopefully, I can transfer some of that dopamine rush to you. I know that's hard to do, but Uh, Maybe you can live vicariously through that. All right, package number four. I'm going to talk about the card first, which was a 2009-2010 SP game-used Logoman, Logoman, that's, yes, the set's called Logoman, but it's a Logoman 
Logo Man patch of Roy Hibbert, numbered one out of eight. And this is one of the sets I profiled when I did my little Logo Man series. I think that was somewhere around episode 105, maybe, somewhere in that range. And you guys might remember me talking about this. There are some cards from that set that were numbered super high, like 14, 15. Kevin Garnett has 18 Logo Man in that set. Um, even in the rookie photo shoot worn era today, or the unworn relic era today, we don't see you know, Logo Man numbered that high. It would be unheard of. But back in 2009 and 2010, um, Upper Deck knew they were losing the license, so they loaded up some of those products uh, until the end of the 2009 calendar year. They loaded those up with prime pieces, and it turns out they must have had eight Roy Hibbert Logo Man patches lying around from the rookie photo shoot because they made their way into the set. I'm happy they did uh, because that kind of drives the price down when there's eight of them out there. Uh, now, because this card was originally listed with a buy it now over $250, it automatically qualified for eBay's authenticity guarantee. Meaning, no matter what the card actually sold for, even if the person accepted an offer of, say, you know, 100 bucks, which I wish was the case, but they did not. But even if they accepted a $100 offer because it was listed for over $250 to begin with, the seller had to ship it to CSG in Sarasota, had to ship it to them first, and then once the card's authenticated, it's forwarded to its final destination. Now, this card would not have qualified for the program when it began in January. You know, and I say, I say when this program began in January, it really already existed for sneakers and handbags and I think uh, watches before that. But originally, this product for trading cards originated in January, and it was only for ungraded cards, $750 and above, uh, and then patch cards and autograph cards did not apply. And while this program has its flaws, you know, it was still great in certain situations. Let's say you wanted to take a shot on a raw Mike and rookie, or a raw Russell rookie, right? I even thought about that a few times. This eliminated a lot of the risk uh, for both buyer and seller. And then as the year progressed, the dollar threshold dropped. Um, they started processing graded cards, which got routed to PSA. You know, some people like it, some people hate it, but it looks like it's here to stay. Um, and then over time, they started taking in autograph and relic cards as well. Now, they make it very clear. In fact, they told me in several spots. They sent me an email before I even got the card saying, hey, we're not going to authenticate the patch in this card, um, which, you know, I've dealt a lot with that, so... That would be on my mind. Um, they put it in the packaging. We're not going to authenticate the patch in this card. I think it's listed somewhere else in their terms as well. So they want to make it very clear. They're not authenticating patches and autographs. They're just authenticating whether the card itself is real. And for something like this Roy Hibbert patch, I wasn't worried about the card being authentic or not. I really wasn't even worried about the patch. I knew that, you know, I knew exactly what I was getting. But there was no way for me to refuse this service. The card still had to go to CSG, so it added a few extra days, and honestly, a little more concern, and maybe not for the reason that you would think. This is a little more specific to just relics, um, because I wasn't happy with the way that I've seen cards packaged in the authentication holders. Now, I don't know if this is on eBay or CSG, or if they came up with that together. I don't know. I'm not trying to put the blame on someone, but I do want to point it out in case maybe, you know, Maybe it becomes a bigger issue and we can push to fix this. But they take the cards out of whatever one-touch or top-loader the seller provides, and they put each card in a card saver one, 
which is then fastened. Well, they put a, a sticker on it as well, which once you peel it, it, you know, it voids the warranty or the guarantee, I guess I should say. But anyway, once it's in that one touch, that's then in a team bag that's sealed. Um, they put them in inside the box with some sort of an elastic band at two of the four corners. And for me, it was the uh, top left and, and the bottom right. I guess that's what they're doing now. Now, I know uh, Chad from Pack to the Future, if you listen to that show, you know, he had one of his Donovan Mitchell cards damaged because of this. Um, you know, I think it was maybe a blank slate card. Anyway, it was a real nice Donovan Mitchell card that was raw that got damaged in the corner. Then he had to try and fight and show, you know, hey, this was damaged in the shipping process, and it was a mess. They offered him a partial refund, but still, it kind of tanked the value of that card. And then I believe Steve, or, or Showley, um also had this process kind of mess up one of his cards as well. And his card was a thick relic like this Hibbert card, like a 130-point thickness relic. And those are more likely to be damaged from this process because a Card Saver 1 is just way too thin and way too flimsy for a thick memorabilia cards. And those two elastic bands essentially pinch the corner. So before this thing even showed up, I understood the risk. I wasn't happy about it. I didn't have a choice, but I understood the risk and I had to decide... Is this a card I'm going to keep, even if it shows up with some damage? Uh, it was a scenario I didn't want to face, but, you know, I figured it would happen. So I decided, hey, this is a Logo Man. I've been wanting it for a while. Hopefully the dam- if there is damage, hopefully it's not too bad. And I'm going to keep it. Um, so after nine days, uh, or I should say nine days after my original purchase, it showed up in my mailbox. And I was faced with this moment of truth um, that maybe I had kind of worked myself up for because... Um, you know, I recorded it and I uploaded it to my YouTube channel. You can see it in real time here, but I got lucky this time. The card showed up just fine. So all of that worrying for nothing, but it was on my mind the whole way. And I will say I, you know, I have seen cards damaged before, so it wasn't, um, you know, it it was a, a merited reaction. I still think the whole card saver thing is something eBay should reconsider going forward. All right. Well, there you have it. Maybe you have an authentication center experience of your own, hopefully a good one. I, you know, I hopefully not a bad one, but, or maybe you have some thoughts about one of the topics I addressed earlier, like the current state of manufacturing. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>